You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Caitlin Skalrud, um, and her new book is Houses of the Holy. I guess that came out near the end of last year, was it? It was, I want to say it was September officially, beginning of September. Okay. It, it kind of had a soft release date. We, we had it for uh, SPX at the Unsiv table. And that's your first big book uh, from Uncivilized, a fellow... Uh, Minneapolis institution, mm-hmm. as well as your mini comic uh, stories from St. Louis, uh, Tits, the mm-hmm. Spring Northern Maid, and your your um, Sea Change, a Choose Your Own Way story. Yep, um, one of very few Choose Your Own Adventure type comics. Yeah, they're 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 not really that easy to make. No, and in the <laughs> I, re- I remember really clearly that I, I had written all of them, like, piecemeal. So I would written roughly, like, 12 short bits of the story, and I was, like, literally laying them down on sheets of paper, like, trying to find what order they went into. And I, I must have changed it, like, four times, just because I couldn't remember what it was before. It sounds like a lot of work, putting them yeah. together. Um. Well, let's kind of. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in kind of where you're coming from because the minis that you sent me um, mm-hmm. already feel really fully formed. So I'm curious, like, what's going into that? Uh, kind of what was your background like? Did you go to art school? Uh, were you like really enmeshed in comics as a teen? Well, it's um, yeah, I did. I did go to art school. I went to um, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Uh, from like 2007 to 2011. Um, but, you know, I get like people ask you all this, you know, this all the time. They're like, you know, when did you really get into comics? And I'm like, I think it was really like when I was, you know, youngest four or five, I would make my, make my, I would like ask my babysitter to uh, tr- like write my stories down for me as I like dictated them to her. And then I, <laughs> And then I would draw them later. I mean, she was she was extremely nice and indulged all my all my orders to her. It's very patient. Yeah. So I'm sure the story was really complex and went in a million different directions at once. <laughs> it it kind of did, and then it, I don't know. Maybe this is telling, but like looking back at them, they slowly sort of devolve into non narratives, and I'm just drawing pictures of things happening. <laughs> That that would uh, be very uh, work well with the, your most recent work. <laughs> oh yeah, going straight to basics, five five year old me. There we go. Just, just yeah. rewind. Um, so when did you start doing comics properly for yourself, not just uh, instructions for the babysitter? Um, you know, I was doing like drawing picture books for a long time, but it was. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of young women cartoonists and a lot of the cartoonists who went to MCAT actually, uh, I, you know, discovered manga when I was like 15 or 16 from like a library or um, I used to go to like the mall and go to like some terrible bookstore and get like super crummy, you know, manga and just pour over it for hours. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, at 15, I was like, I can draw just as 
just as well as this person. And I didn't really have too hard of a time in school, so I ended up being bored more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I would just like sneak to the back of the science class and like draw in my uh, ruled notebooks and use the ruled uh, lines for my comic borders and panels and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think I started doing that like every every single school day when I was a, a sophomore, so maybe like sixteen, and I did it on the weekends and like. I would finish a comic every couple months and then show it to my friends and then start another one. Um, so when you went to MCAD, you specifically wanted to do comics? Yeah, it was... Yeah, I hadn't really thought too much about like what career I was going to have in art. I mean, I was, I was sort of a big fish in a small pond, so it was assumed that I was always just going to like make art in a very general way but I found MCAD and they had a comic art department and they were you know only 45 minutes away from where I grew up so I was was pretty quickly sold on that. Now growing up in in Minneapolis with the extended uh, unforgiving winters um, <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm really curious about how that kind of helps nurture that creativity, um, that kind of forced solitude. Oh. Unless you enjoy minus 40 degrees. Well, I, I mean, I enjoy it just because then I have no other choice but to stay inside. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it's kind of twofold for me. I, you know, I grew up near Minneapolis, but I really spent most of my time in this uh, tiny, tiny rural Wisconsin town right across the border that was, you know, at its peak, 1,500 people. And I lived out, um, I lived down the outskirts of town and we had an acre of land that was just, you know, completely nothing. Mm -hmm. Like there was two trees, two, three trees, but that was it. So it was either kind of, you know, wander the yard or stay inside and, you know, make something productive. Which kind of sounds like I'm an, like an Amish person, but you know, the TV was inside, my paper was inside, so yeah. wasn't too difficult for me to choose. What kind of stuff were you looking at um, as you kind of got more into drawing? You mentioned the manga, but like when mm-hmm. you were in art school at that time, was there things oh. that it kind of exposed you were exposed to at that point that kind of shifted? what you wanted to do or was there stuff coming from the instructors? Uh, I would say it's, I was just thinking about this. I think like almost nine, like 95% of what I know now about comics came from going to MCAD. And that's something that like growing up where I did and not having access to a comic book shop or people who had like an extensive comics knowledge and history mm-hmm. like i i would have taken me years to get you know half as acquainted um but once i got to art school there was i mean i'd always been influenced by um directors like film directors they were something that i could you know 
take inspiration from and apply it somewhat to comics, but uh, probably the biggest thing is uh, like Woodring and you know, I really love like Milton Kniff, even though I couldn't even begin to draw like he does. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, you know, these things were so different from any comics I'd grown up with access to. There was Peanuts, of course, and Peanuts was always good. I just didn't ever realize until I got to art school how good they were. But, you know, just seeing like the actual like great grades like Mobius and... Oh, and Bechtel and everyone like that. It was yeah. huge overload for me, which was kind of what I wanted. I wanted to get away from that like tiny yard I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> so coming to school was like kind of a twofold oh, thing yeah. at the time, or multiple fold. Yeah, I just it was you know I wanted a lot more information and like exposure art and you know. Just to jump into big old art school was what I got there. And, uh, like, I had a couple of really great instructors who, like, uh, uh, Terry Beatty, who does, I believe he does The Phantom now. Did he do, like, Ms. Ms. Tree? Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, Ms. Tree. Old school comic knowledge here. (laughs) Like, real old school. And that was my first comics class with him, and... Like, where I've ended up, you know, how I draw and how I write is not even close to how uh, Terry Berry does or Jim Keefe does. But, like, um, you know, it was just, it was a good lesson in learning the entire scope of the medium. Because I could, you know, you can, I could mimic Miyazaki drawings till the end of time. And that wouldn't have made me really need better. But, uh, yeah. Uh, um, now, Beatty, he did a lot of inking, too, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about, even before you mentioned that, you talked about Jim Woodring and Milton Kniff, okay. who are both, mm-hmm. like, thick black lines. Oh, yeah. And, and I can kind of see how that's in your work, because like, you have such, like, a strong inking to your work and uh, really full-fleshed this is a strong line and and I'm really interested about how like, you know, cause contemporarily speaking, um, your lines are a lot more dominant than I'm finding a lot of other work that's coming Mm -hmm. out with now or like the last seven years or so people are using a lot more thinner line pencils, but your stuff like this is like, I am an anchor Mm -hmm. going full into that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that's uh, that's honestly my favorite part is like sitting down and you know with a stack of like 200 pages and I can sort of disappear into my headphones and my work but um yeah it's it's something I this is another thing that in the course of four to five years it was a lot of a learning curve for me because I had you know being raised Someone on manga, I was like, well, yeah, I need to get, like, these micron pens and everything should be sort of super fine and, like, don't really color anything in with ink. Like, leave yeah. everything open. Lots of action lines. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the crazy part was, like, I didn't even, for a long time, I was just using ballpoint pens, so I I didn't really have a, 
idea of what was possible with ink. Yeah. But it's uh is I find it like much I find it much more emotive to have just a ton of black um on the page. And I'm I I get very sort of confused and muddled with pencils, like just drawing with pencil or just thin line. There's something that is far more satisfying and well balanced to be just like a nice black and white page. Mm-hmm. It gives it a very, like a real finality to the page. I guess oh, yeah. like you're like it's done, all the blacks <laughs> down. Sign me up for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, were you doing minis at that time, or what were some of the first minis you did in art school, post art school? You know, honestly, it like tits is one of the first minis after after uh that was probably oh i don't even know like a year after i got out of school it was one of those yeah it was one of those things where like i was in a yeah i was either terrified or crazy prolific and i was sort of just banging out as many drawings as i could and i drew that story in like two weeks and inked it and then in two days, I had it printed up as a as a zine, as a mini. Um, now you printed this yourself on a printer, or was this on Zach's printer? Uh yeah, this was on the um, this was on the printing press that I got from Zach. Oh, okay, you uh, have his old one. Mm-hmm, I have the the uh, it's an AB Dick three sixty, I think from I want to say it's from like nineteen sixty two or something like that. Um, and Zach was looking to get that two color, uh, I believe it's a 9810, this is total press talk, but like 9810 <laughs> press, um, <laughs> with the T head for two colors, um, but he was thinking about getting that, uh, that printer, and he was my advisor at that time at MCAD, because luckily for me, at least, the sort of overlap of him teaching full-time at MCAD as their visiting artist for a few years coincided with me starting to take the upper-level comic Mm. classes. Um, So he was thinking about selling that press somehow, and I came up to him to, like, check over some grant application I was sending in, and on the application it said, like, what do you intend to do with cartooning? And I had written something something about, like, publishing more, trying to find other artists to publish, and, like, physically make a lot of books and he just looks up at me and is like do you want to buy a printing press that <laughs> <laughs> was it and so i said yeah and you know a lot of pain and suffering later i can sort of run it <laughs> that's like a very loaded question <laughs> and i yeah it i didn't dawn on me at the time what kind of loaded question he was asking <laughs> That's kind of a jerk. <laughs> I'm sorry, Zach, but you know, don't don't sell your printing presses to your students. <laughs> oh, this vulnerable child will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was I don't know, it's I mean, whether it was beginner's luck or just me being totally naive to what kind of pain and suffering a printing press can give you, it was I mean, it was a huge deal for me. Yeah. Like, 
I still have, like, oh my god, I must have been kind of insufferable my senior year after I'd gotten it. I was, like, doing all my art projects about it. I was, like, drawing little pictures of it, like, all over my sketchbook, like I was, you know, in love with some boy at school. <laughs> <laughs> little floaty hearts around Yeah. It. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, and when I ran that first... Um, I think I did about 200, 200 something copies of tits in about two days and it went beautifully. Like nothing happened. It just went perfectly. And that's never really happened again. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, he's probably told you about this and everyone who asked, but like that, like deep churning like fear you get when you're like okay i need to go print and then you, your whole world just kind of like drops like the like the zooming scene in jaws where it zooms in and the background sort of like falls back you're like oh <laughs> <laughs> i love this <laughs> uh but yeah it, uh yeah tits was the first like going into zines and i was just like I'll just go, I guess I'm just going to go whole hog on it. I'm going to do all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it was really interesting. I really liked the way you steered away from doing a really simple straight ahead narrative with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I'm really interested in kind of the development of it. I don't know if folks can read it on your website. Yeah. Um, I think most, I think most everything about houses is, online now okay um but you kind of it's i don't know how to describe it it's like mm-hmm. a point in the middle of a story and or not even the middle of a story it's just like a snapshot of a point in time mm-hmm. and um yeah and i'm just really interested in kind of the ideas behind putting that story together you know i think uh i think i had the idea of doing some sort of um, like Lita and the Swan story where like a human woman is seduced by some sort of strange uh, mythological creature and just kind of doing like a straight up porn comic of it. Mm-hmm. Just like unabashedly. Um, but me being me, I had, I, you know, I put that in there, but it sort of evolved from there into something I wanted to be you know, far more tragic in a Greek sense, just like, you know, two beings meet and they sort of like each other, but, you know, one ends up ruining everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I just, like, the the fun part about writing those kind of, like, loose narratives or, you know, ones that are not, um, you know, caption says one thing and then uh, the panel and the dialogue yeah. reiterated was just like making some sort of strange math that like I could only do with images. And for for me it was just about, you know, making a story that I enjoyed reading while I wrote it as well. Because mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I have, you know, that story's just in my head so I really, it's, you know, I know all of it but having a way to convey it that was interesting to me 
was the only way to really finish it. Yeah. You just, like, there's a part that you wanted to get onto paper. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that I couldn't, like, if I tried too hard to pin it down, I'd lose it. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it it totally does. And I I really appreciate that about it. Yeah, there's just, like, some slippery or, like, fleeing thing I'm trying to, like, just pen in on these pages. And I honestly don't know if it always works, but... Now, this story and Sea Change both kind of revolve mm-hmm. around mermaids. Um, yes. And has that been a particular interest of you as, like, a mythological topic? Did yeah, you go through, like, a phase? Oh, it was definitely, uh, like, a psychological phase where I was like, I feel like a mermaid. <laughs> um, it was, and I can see it, like, really clearly now looking back that, like, you know, post, post art school and really like post school period for me, since my, um, I'd been in, my mother's a grade school teacher. So I've been in her classroom and, you know, like in the school system since I was, you know, from like one until 22 or something. Mm -hmm. So it was a, like just going from this weird, you know, my, dependence on this structure and knowing how to navigate it pretty well um and then going like being thrown out of college into like the real world and an actual life was pretty terrifying for me yeah and not just i mean mostly financially at that point i think it was it was a few years past the recession and I, i remember i was I was walking past um, Annie Mock at a table, like maybe in 2010 at uh, our probably spring con here in Minneapolis. And she was like, oh, I wish I was graduating now like you guys. And I'm like, it's it's really not any better. Trust me. She she graduated in like 2008 or 9. It was just, you know, abysmal then. Yeah. (laughs) But could only imagine we we did not get any of the recession up here in vancouver <laughs> things just got more expensive yeah <laughs> that's probably good uh kind of uh, but uh yeah i just was i felt you know in art school it's a you know you're funneling this you know all this time and this money and there's all this energy coming from you know instructors and school and administration and all this stuff And then, I don't know if this is true for other art schools, but, like, about 15 minutes after you are officially done with MCAD, they try to, like, kick you out. Like, they'll be, like, not literally, but they'll be trying to, like, take your stuff out of the studio and just kind of, like, push you off the campus. Yeah. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. We'll be calling you for, you know, fundraisers in a little bit, but... um, so it was it was total culture shock for me, just like totally getting the boot and getting a crummy job and trying to make comics at the same time. Do you were you able but, to stay productive after leaving school, like creatively? I I think out of you know just sort of well partially out of just the terror of not knowing what's happening mm-hmm. in the next month next year. Um, but 
I did a lot of those mermaid stories because I was it, that was the one thing that I could have control over was, you know, just getting like a bunch of copy paper and my pencils and just like hammering out as many pages as I could do in one sitting just to like keep moving in a direction, even if it wasn't always clearly forward. Mm-hmm. And like the, just to touch on that uh, mermaid metaphor again, it was, you know, I remembered being more like, or feeling more like I was the mermaid in that situation. Like, you know, able to control some of my life and have a agency in it. Whereas the humans in those stories are always completely at the mercy of, you know, whatever whatever the weather's like that day or just anything. So that was me trying to um, negotiate between who I used to be and who I now was forced to be. Okay. Try to find some resolve in there. Yeah, it was... And even if I didn't find the result, it was kind of a, just being able to put it down on paper was like enough to just, you know, acknowledge that I felt that way or, you know, this was happening, but I could still make comics no matter what happened, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And is having the printing press kind of part of that, like, kind of push you, like, I've got to use this thing? <laughs> yeah, it it definitely... Um, because I remember, um, when I was applying for that last, uh, that last round of Xeric grants for Sea Change, I was like, this is perfect. This is going to be, if I get this, I'll be, you know, I'll have a little bit of, uh, of a grant to sort of get this thing rolling and I'll get my practice in on this book and it'll go great. And then I'll just keep rolling forward on it. Like it'll be like the point at which I get a lot of momentum to like keep publishing and it was far more complicated than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um what were some of the challenges with the with that there's so many I don't know if you (laughs) I don't know if uh I so what I did when I actually got into You know, it was about two months out from when um, I'd been given the grants and then uh, technically our uh, sort of like finished result was due uh, like June. I want to say June of 2013. So it's April of 2013. I'm like, I should be I should go print. I think I'm ready to go now. Um, And it was a ton of just, you know missteps and me not knowing exactly what I was doing with this machine and bad weather and me just sort of coming to this point where I was freaking out more than I was thinking mm-hmm. at any given point um, just because time constraint was, you know, pressing on me. Um, but yeah, I every morning I would like, I think I'd gotten the entire the entire month of April off from my from my job at that point and I was like I'm gonna be printing five days a week at this you know so I can't work those days yeah <laughs> so I was like okay so this will get done in like a couple weeks and I'll have like a two-week vacation before I take it to um 
TCAF that year and, you know, debut it. And, you know, it was a super snowy April here. It was, um, I think we got like, like between 20 and 40 inches of snow that month. And uh, I had the printing press, uh, which is really just a, a motor with some ink rollers and uh, some water to clean off the plates. Like, mm-hmm. the winter was not friendly. I was, like, turning on space heaters in the morning at, like, 9 in the morning and then waiting for about three or four hours until the the temperature was the highest. Oh, because it's metal, so it absorbs all the cold, too, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, the the metal would be cold, so the gears wouldn't be as you know. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and the ink would freeze. The oh, water would. Freeze. Yeah, it was a. <laughs> it's a very interesting time, you know. Where a whereas a smart printer would just have, you know, they'd say, "Why don't you just put that shit in a, a warm space?" And I was just too, you know, I didn't have the means to really do that at that point. It's a it's a big machine, isn't it? Yeah, it's like um, it's about I want to say like like eight hundred to a thousand pounds. I have no real idea. Um, about four and a half feet tall, maybe four inches or four feet long, and about two feet wide. Yeah, that's not getting moved. No, <laughs> it's been every time I have to move it. It's kind of a very serious like. Well, am I going to be able to keep it here for any amount of time? Because mm-hmm. I like in my personal life, I'm moving from apartment to apartment or stuff like that, and I can't spend the money to move it every few months and put my literally put my friends' lives in danger to move it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I mean, it was it was a it was a really great motivator, but it was also it really tested me how many pages was the book um it was the the book itself is 52 pages um and i ended up printing a thousand copies to sort of get to the point where i'd have about 700 or 800 good copies okay. so i can't remember what the math was on that but i i got a stack of you know, like 300, 400 pounds of paper delivered to the, to the garage where it sat. And I ran every single one of them through that printer. It was like 20,000. No, it was a lot of paper. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, you know, and I'm, God, what am I like 23 or 24 at this point? So this is the point at which, you know, I'm trying to print this book and things are going really horribly wrong and mostly just out of my own inexperience with this kind of stuff um and it was just a it was a real eye-opener for me that like my like I could be as passionate as I wanted about comics but I needed to also like be smart about how I went about it Mm -hmm. because it was a you know it was a lot of time and energy and it and and occasionally I would get my fingers caught in the gears. It would not be good. <laughs> That's not good for cartooning. Oh, it was not a good day. That sounds like it would kill you on ever wanting to print anything on that again. 
Yeah, uh, it's it definitely puts like the fear of failing back in you into a real way. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's which is good in a way, but also it's you know if you you don't sort of temper it with like going easy on yourself or you know allowing yourself to take an easier route than the absolute hardest yeah uh, way into like publishing a book or putting a comic out like you can really like literally and uh you know figuratively like hurt yourself yeah i, I I'm, I'm yeah <laughs> yeah it's, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um after sea change um was that when you did some of the other stuff like Godhead and mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um I think Godhead was afterwards. And I had a I actually had a pretty good couple days after Sea Change was printed and assembled, but um where I printed Godhead it took like two days and it went pretty well. And I've yet to recreate that that instance as well. Um so I was more into just trying to find ways to publish comics online that would not require me going to the printing press Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i'm curious how kind of godhead came out after that stuff like where that was coming from um that kind of sounds like it takes place in a environment quite like your own that you grew up in Mm -hmm. um yeah um yeah that was actually i did I did part of that story, like fifteen pages, in at MCAD, and then I revisited the story, and I may end up like revisiting it again and trying to put it out as one long graphic novel. Um, but it was my um, my partner Scott, Scotty also calls it uh, the most Caitlin Skullrud comic that you could ever you could ever get is Godhead. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's um, you know, it centers around this um, this girl who's adopted into a family and feels, you know, angry with the people that she, her father that she lives with and uh, wants to, you know, hang out with people and who have her same interests and is you know bitter and angry to anyone who tries to tell her otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, it was pretty much descriptive of a lot of my time in Wisconsin. So you were happy to get out of there as quick as possible and into school, and yeah, it's. I mean, part of it was just I was. I think my my parents also at one point told me that like they were scared of what I would do if I didn't go to art school. Like if they told me no, I couldn't go. That I would. I don't, I don't <laughs> know exactly what that means, but. <laughs> Um, I was very, very adamant about getting out of that small town. Yeah. Just because there was, I mean, I felt like a, and I was sort of an anomaly. I just wanted to like create stuff. And, you know, at that point when I was maybe 13 or 14, I was coming around to the idea that I might be queer or, or gay or, you know, something that was too terrifying to sort of broach Mm -hmm. in that in that space um so it was you know without knowing specifically why or 
where I might fall within some sort of subculture. I was just like, I need to get out of this, like a community of farmers and blue collar workers and um, who are not, you know, not bad people in and of themselves, but like, it's a different reality. (laughs) You can't tell them that like, I want to draw comics. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, sure. But what, what job do you want to get? Nah, I don't want to get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was... Yeah, it was just not my my space at all. Yeah. So coming to Minneapolis really opened things up for you and... Yeah. Yeah, I had a... Yeah, I had a hard time, like, figuring out, like, who I was and, like, what I wanted to do and any sort of, like abnormal sexuality if you will but yeah I wanted to go to Minneapolis and like make mermaid porn comics I just didn't know how to tell people that was it a difficult adjustment like getting used to that environment like the new environment being in the in the city and like is this okay is this really happening like that it was, kind of... it, I mean it was the sort of you know, at the same time that I'm changing my situation physically, like I'm turning 19, 20, 21. And, you know, things are actually starting to affect me in a way that like they don't affect kids. Yeah. It was a lot of just like all these new factors are just happening at the exact same time. So it was, I mean, it was actually really helpful that I was in art school that I was at least, focused so much on projects that I wasn't, you know, like doing overly self-destructive stuff. There's something also um, that art school allows you to be as freaky as you want in your whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very forgiving. Oh yeah. It's, it's freak, freak flag friendly, (laughs) which is good. And I kind of feel like the stuff you're talking about right now really feeds into uh, Houses of the Holy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't know what, like, I read, I always read people's comics in, like, chronological Mm -hmm. order of when they came out to kind of see how they developed. And Houses of the Holy really came from some other direction than anything else I looked at by you. And that was kind of really exciting to me. It's just like you kind of jumped ahead yeah. a whole bunch yeah it was there's a there's a lot of story behind this book um like the stuff really the stuff that is in here that drove me to write this book was really sort of just latent and you know waiting waiting from when i was you know however old and all my experiences like compounded together but it was definitely a book that I was far too um I don't want to I don't want to say repressed but like it was a scary topic to even like bring up to myself like to even to even start drawing these like these images and how this loaded meaning for me was I wouldn't have been able to 
do it until, you know, the point that I did start drawing it. Um, Because I was going through, like, a very rough emotional time when I started the book. And there's a... There was about a six month six month hiatus between like me publishing the first forty pages or so and then like just doing the rest of the book in like a fever dream, kinda like in a few months just drawing the rest of the book. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question at all. I just sort of Yeah, this book is It's intense. <laughs> it's uh I mean, when I talk to people about this, like, it's a book that I could only make because I couldn't articulate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the concepts and the feeling that are in it are things that I, it's almost impossible for me to, like, find the right words for. So it's just like, I'll just draw it all. I'll just make everything physical. But it doesn't feel cathartic. No. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah, it's definitely... Like, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely me. It's definitely me processing. Yeah. All of these, like, intertwining, uh, you know, issues or problems that I was facing, either, like, in the immediate present or stuff that I'd never really dealt with. Now, within that, you prescribe yourself a very particular way of, of approaching the story as well. Yeah, which is like super steeped in symbolism, um, and, and I'm interested about how you kind of go about doing that as as a storytelling technique. Like, it's very based in uh, tarot, mm-hmm. um, and really like hearkening particular cards. And I don't know how far through because my familiarity isn't as deep as. <laughs> As others may be, I have somewhat. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I can go, yeah, this is some major arcana parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, that. It's interesting to kind of set yourself, I'm going to tell this, this story through these devices. Yeah, it's, I think part of, well, partly it's just because I didn't, and I don't know, this is something that I talked to a lot of, cartoonists about who do more straight autobio stuff um but i couldn't i just couldn't you know bear to sort of like name names in any sort of way yeah. to like put particular faces on you know incidents in my life and i was you know generally i kind of wanted to keep any sort of like misgivings i might have or might portray in the book from anyone who might perceive them as like some sort of slight. So it's like, if I couch it within these structured symbols that already exist, kind of like a, like Jungian symbols or like the collective unconscious Mm -hmm. people will hopefully be able to still get the, the raw emotion out of them without ever having to like implicate anyone as being like, oh, that person was a shitty friend to me, so I'll just put their face and write shitty friend above them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and I mean, and honestly, that's just not interesting enough for me to sustain. Yeah, for like a hundred-page book. 
and it's it's kind of like building um it's kind of like building like a locked room mystery but you just you don't actually have the key even you know in terms of like building this symbolism it was like i put myself into a room and i didn't actually have the like the master key to what this all meant i was kind of just letting it pour out so there's a certain kind of automaticness to to what you're doing with the storytelling of just yeah it was this i mean in the you know in the years after school and i was feeling sort of rudderless i'd taken up like studying astrology and numerology and all the good you know tarot and all that and it kind of put me in a space where I was like, well, I should just like open up and let whatever comes out, come out. Mm-hmm. And even when I was writing this book, I was um, like listening to like super like droney music that like ha- either had no words or was totally unintelligible to sort of like go into a space that didn't really have words. What was some of the music like? Um, I this is gonna be a total like Minneapolis plug, but um, <laughs> to, uh, the band Polisa put out uh, Shulamith, which is just like it's a beautiful record, but I don't understand a damn word that the singer is saying. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just per- portrayed the emotions within the song, but never actually gave me any specifics. Um, the William Basinski, if you know any of the Disintegration Loops, which is um, just this crazy, beautiful composer of classical music, decided to go super strange, like, took a piece of his classical music on tape, slowed it down super slow, and, like, played it over and over again until the tape literally disintegrated. Oh, neat. It's it's a super trip, and it's I think the the cover art is even like smoke that's billowing off the the twin towers from nine eleven. It's just like a super nihilistic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like it's in. I mean, even in that, it you know it is kind of nihilistic. You're listening to this music, literally like literally die as you as you play it because you're playing it. Um, like there's moments when those tapes will play and there's a point at which most of the tape is still, is, is totally gone, but there'll be like a sliver of that film that's still on. You get like this little burst of slowed down classical music. It's super, super trippy. That's great. It's very like, very post John KG. Mm-hmm. I like weirdo music like that. Oh yeah, it's noticed. yeah. I wouldn't the this book would not be half as weird if I hadn't been like in those like awesome head spaces. Now, um, do you try? Did you try and follow that theme throughout the whole thing of the tarot symbolism? Kind of going back to that a bit, um, or did you kind of different chapters or different parts kind of taking from different things? Yeah, it was definitely um, the different chapters had. I'd done the first chapter in the style of, and this might be 
this might be giving away more of what is like explicitly in the book, and I don't know if I'll just say like spoilers, people. Um, <laughs> but the first forty pages are structured in a way that are the um, they're actually the twelve my twelve houses. Um, so astrologically, people have their sun sign and you know moon sign. Everyone has planets, but everyone also has um, houses in which planets can align. So say you have like Taurus in your second house and that kind of stuff. Um, and each of like each combination means something specific. So I like structured this first chapter directly around my houses as they sort of reflect on my mental state at that moment okay yeah so it had a very like not very it's not one-to-one in any way but it had a jumping off point for me because there's the the thing that i i find attractive about the you know these occult things or symbols is not necessarily what they implicitly mean but more that those images have like a structured meaning that people can sort of agree on yeah. like there's there's a certain amount of understanding that everyone has from those classic tarot images like we can all sort of understand what those mean there will be these certain particular themes in in every yeah. version of the knight of cups or whatever yeah it's yeah it's it's just like um it's more along like the symbolism and motifs that like paintings would use to indicate certain things like Jesus always has his uh two fingers held up together as like a symbol that he is Jesus cuz you won't necessarily have like a caption saying this is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was for me it was a way to like all not cheat but like find shortcuts into into how people would receive it on a totally like visceral emotional way yeah no i totally and and i don't think that spoils at all okay for the reader because i can there's i know there's a ton of drawings in here and i can pretty much like if you ask me like what is that image on 93 about like i could tell you in depth what it all means which is not necessarily what people need to enjoy the book it's just it's always going to be there in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's, I think, I like that people can kind of have their own conclusion from the book. Like you have yours, but the reader will kind of take it and process it their own way. Mm-hmm. Were there any particular occult writers that um, stuck out to you that kind of... Ooh, I actually haven't... I don't think I've ever, like, I, before this comic was written, I don't think I'd actually delve too much into, mm-hmm. um, like, necessarily occult writers, but um, I was really into, and still am, into the poet Rumi, the, um, God, I can't remember what it was, but, like, a poet holy man from, like, the 11th century. Um, he's done a lot of really strange poems. Um but just the way he would describe like the human experience as being this super strange, fleeting thing. Yeah. You know, he's probably high a ton of the time. <laughs> so 
so it's it was um where where was he from i you know i might just like run to my bookshelf and grab it i want to say he he's middle eastern for sure okay so you know probably getting some hashish at that point oh yeah um yeah so he he wrote just tons and tons of poems that are partly religious and partly like about I think there's even one about farting that he wrote. It's just, you know, <laughs> the breadth of human experience. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, I just read uh, this book on the English musical occult scene that was really interesting. But none of the names from it are really jumping up my brain, so. Yeah. Not going to be helpful. Um. And now you have, you're going to be at Cake in, it's in June, right? Yes, it is, oh, I want to say June, like the second weekend in June. I'm sorry, Charlie Cake, I can't remember when you are. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's... June 11th and 12th, there we go. Yeah. The internet has not failed me today. <laughs> um, and you're hoping to have a mini for it? If, yeah, if as, stars yeah as many as I get, I guess. Um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like a forty-ish page uh, printed Rizzo zine called "How to Make Comics," and it's it's very oblique in the way that I like to write about how to make comics. So it's sort of about comics and sort of not. Not completely instructional. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, like I said, I really, really got a lot of Houses of the Holy, and I think um, for for a debut book, it's pretty strong. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it was a true labor of love. Yeah, I do hope folks check it out from Uncivilized Books. Pretty much everything from that publisher is good. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. A reminder, folks, like I said, Houses of the Holy as well you still do you still have sea changes left oh yes i've got you know 400 of them in my closet so yes please go pick some uh, up at cake <laughs> yes awesome thank you so much yeah thank you robin Thank you.